Hey, y'all. So a big part of what we're going to be doing in Groundbreakers is hearing from a lot of interesting people about their journeys, specifically where they started out and what put them on a path toward making an impact in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But before we get to hearing from those other folks, I thought it might be helpful for y'all to hear a bit about me and my journey, because I realized that one might be inclined to ask how a country music artist came to be a chief diversity officer in corporate America. Y'all want to hear a crazy story? Have I got one for you. I grew up in the Midwest. I was born in Kansas City and raised in a small farm town called Wellsville. I'm the youngest of three kids born to industrious, hardworking parents. Life in our community revolved mostly around chores, school, sports, and church. I did all of those things, but I had another interest to add to the mix. Music. I was completely consumed with music, country music to be exact. When I was four years old, I told everyone in our little Kansas town that I was going to be a famous country music singer one day. I began writing songs and performing at a young age, plugging in my keyboard and my microphone anywhere they'd let me. I played weddings. I played funerals, nursing homes, Lumberyard openings, lumberyard closings, I honestly never passed up an opportunity to make music. And by the time I hit my teenage years, I had a full band and we were booked nearly every weekend. When I was 18 years old, I moved to Nashville with stars in my eyes and a dream of landing a recording contract. What I didn't know was just how many other people had the same plan. Back in Kansas, I'd always been arguably the best singer-songwriter around, but once I got to Nashville, it didn't take me long to realize that I was swimming in a whole new talent pool. It was deep, and it was wide. I knew I'd have to work hard if I wanted my shot. I also knew that I had a strike against me. I had a secret. And if my secret was revealed, it would derail every dream I'd ever had. What was my secret? I'm gay. Why did this matter? Well, there'd never been an artist in country music to publicly acknowledge being gay, and it certainly was not going to be me. Keep in mind, this was the South in the early 90s. So I doubled down on my secret and got to work, and I took on the work with gusto. After a few years in Music City, I landed a songwriting contract, and then soon after, my recording contract followed. I was one of the lucky ones, for sure. From there, my journey certainly took some back roads, but I eventually found success. Hit records on the radio, touring around the world, award nominations, a couple of wins, TV appearances, features in newspapers, magazines. It was all happening. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't amazing, because it was. But there was a black cloud that hung over me every single day of my life. I wasn't able to be my authentic self. The year I made my first album, I fell in love with a fabulous woman who was as scared as I was. We told no one. We just couldn't. It was too dangerous. Nothing about who we were was safe. Spoiler alert, after 12 years, that relationship fell apart. Nothing grows in the closet. Well, maybe mold, but love absolutely does not grow in the closet. The loss of that relationship and the realization that my future was destined to be kind of a rinse and repeat of that scenario just shattered me. I had a breakdown. 
I now refer to it as my breakthrough, though, because that was when I realized it was time for me to come out of the closet. It's not that I wanted to do it. It's that I had to do it. I knew that if I didn't come out of the closet, I wouldn't survive. So the day after I didn't end my life, I began putting the pieces into place, not just to come out, but to come out well. My blue-collar parents' mantra echoed in my head, plan your work, then work your plan. And that's exactly what I did. In May of 2010, I came out on the Today Show. My book titled Like Me came out on that day, too. In the years that followed, I spent a good deal of time doing work with advocacy groups, learning institutions, faith communities, and corporate organizations, balancing that new work stream with my old work stream of making records and touring gave me a huge sense of gratification, and I truly felt whole. I was on tour when COVID hit in March of 2020. Concerts, plane tickets, and hotel reservations were quickly postponed, rescheduled a few times, and then ultimately canceled. Just like every other touring musician I know, I was grounded. Everything came to an abrupt stop. It seemed like nothing was happening and everything was happening in the exact same moment, which I found fascinating, really. The entire world was in the dark. Would COVID be a two-week inconvenience or a two-year-long slog? No one really knew what was going to happen. But something was happening in my gut, and I found myself willing, able, and even excited to face the unknown. A couple of months into the pandemic, I said to my wife, Babe, the universe is talking to me. I think I'm going to pivot. For years, I'd had more corporate client opportunities than I had time for because I'd always prioritized my music career. But what if I shifted my priorities? And sure, I could have seized that moment of being home and focused on writing songs for a new record. That's what most of my peers in music were doing. But for some reason, that didn't excite me. This was all happening around the time of George Floyd's murder, A lot was going on in the world, and I just knew that I needed to do more than write songs. So I pivoted. I jumped into the work with my corporate clients, with Gusto, and it felt right. Companies around the globe were scrambling to address DEIB with varying degrees of efficacy and, frankly, intention. But I was glad to be fully engaged in the work. I received a call from Steve Quick in the summer. He was about to become the new CEO of a global strategy design and construction firm called Unispace. Construction, ooh. This was an exciting conversation for me, having grown up following my dad around on job sites. My dad was a concrete guy for 40 years in Kansas City, and frankly, no one in our family had ever shied away from building a house or tackling a home renovation, which is probably why I began buying rental houses in the late 90s, sort of my side hustle, if you will. Steve and I continued the dialogue about how to truly embed diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging into everything Unispace does. And furthermore, how could we help our clients do this in their spaces? Not a light lift, that's for sure. The construction industry and country music actually have a lot of similarities. Neither is known to be super diverse. Both are pretty traditional. And the phrase, that's not how we do things around here, is very commonly heard in both industries on a daily basis. But Steve was genuinely committed to getting DEIB right. 
And he was acutely aware of what was happening in our society and why this was a moment that mattered. One of the biggest roadblocks to creating real change within organizations is leadership buy-in. If you don't have the belief and the commitment of the folks at the top, it's like pushing a big rock up a steep hill. So it was clear to me that this was a moment of impact and an opportunity for transformation. This was the universe speaking to me. And I have to tell you this, nothing excites a used-to-be closeted, God-fearing country singer more than change in places where it seems change could never happen. I wanted to be part of this. That's why I jumped in. So here I am, Chief Diversity Officer at Unispace. And it's a blast. 